0: The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. Amen. We'll please remain standing. Turn your scriptures, please, to Ephesians chapter 6. A reading from verse 18 to the end of the book, 18 to verse 24, and that is our text also, for this evening we're picking up mid 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 mid-sentence mid-thought paul has encouraged the ephesians to be strong in the lord and the strength of his might to put on the whole armor of god and this is his closing instructions to them of the epistle verse 18 this is the word of god praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. We pray now, Lord, for that grace from above that you bestow on us through your Spirit, by his working, that we might be assured of eternal life, and so made wholeheartedly uh, willing and ready from now on to live for you. Bless us, we pray, Lord God. and Give me words, give us all ears to hear what your spirit has to say, to the end that you, our great God, might be glorified, and Christ may be exalted, and we may be taught the ways of life. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Well, we've reached the end of Ephesians, uh, and Paul closes the epistle with doctrinal instruction and blessing and practical exhortations. In that sense, the end of the epistle is the same as the structure of the whole epistle. Uh, The Ephesians, we are told here, need to be spiritually alert in prayer— and I'm piggybacking somewhat off Pastor Ocken preached two weeks ago. The Ephesians need to be spiritually alert in prayer. And in particular, Paul asks, verse 19, that they pray for him in his work. They also need spiritual encouragement. And so he sends Tychicus to them to tell them how he is doing. And they also need divine blessing that's verses 23 and 24 as children of the living god as those who love christ he bestows upon them a great and wonderful blessing if we put all this together i think what we see is this we are tonight reminded of the grand privilege of what it is to be a child of god the amazing blessing, grace, love with faith, peace be unto us, because we are children of God. And as a consequence of that reality, we are called to spiritual alertness, spiritual action. So the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ, the blessings we have, are to produce in us Christian activity, Christian works verses 18 to 20, we see the need for spiritual alertness, spiritual alertness, which is then followed in verses 21 and 22 by spiritual encouragement, and then finally in 23 and 24, spiritual encouragement blessing alertness encouragement and blessing look at the verse uh, verses 18 to 20 again what i'm saying now is really building upon what pastor rockin taught us two weeks ago perhaps you can remember those of you who were here that uh, he told taught us about the need to keep alert waging warfare through prayer keeping alert by waging warfare through prayer. And he spoke to us of several matters, praying in the Spirit, praying at all times, with all kinds of prayer for all the saints. Four matters all there out of verse 18. And we spoke about this. We'll break the verse, the thought up. Uh, verse 18 flows into verse 19. But verse 18 was so important It needed its own sermon. Keeping alert by waging warfare through prayer. We'll see that continuing in tonight's theme. Keeping spiritually alert involves prayer. Prayer for self, prayer for others. And for the Ephesians, that meant particularly, as Paul says in verse 19, prayer for Paul. Look at the verses together, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth. Paul is fundamentally asking here for prayers for himself in his work of declaring the gospel of Christ. He's asking that they will pray that the Lord will fill his mouth with words as he proclaims the mystery of the gospel. Now, as Paul is asking this prayer, he's writing it down, uh, where do we find him? We find him, remember, under house arrest in Rome. He's waiting a hearing with Caesar pending his release. He's two years under house arrest and we find him here asking for prayers from the ephesians that he might be granted words to boldly preach the gospel and as we look at the rest of scripture we actually see those prayers answered Uh, we know we see in the uh, book of acts chapter 28 uh, after his arrest after he is put under that house arrest he's receiving visitors And we read this of Paul in Acts chapter 28, verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And in other words, the prayers were answered in the life of Paul. And we ask ourselves, well, who was coming to him? Who, who, was, who was listening to this proclamation of the gospel? The book of Philippians was also written while he's under house arrest. And if we turn to Philippians 4 and verse 22, we'll read something remarkable about those who had been listening to him preach while under arrest. His final greetings in Philippians, greeting, greet every saint in Christ Jesus, The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Caesar's household. Is that not staggering to us? to think that Paul, while confined under house arrest, has had the very members of Caesar himself, his household, come and visit him and hear the gospel preach and evidently be converted because they're described here as saints. Paul's preaching while under arrest, hardly the most ideal circumstances we would choose for preaching, saw those in Caesar's household. The highest authority in the known world, Caesar. Members of his own household converted to Christ. And what's interesting is that Paul had been guaranteed this hearing by a revelation of God. I'm going somewhere with this. Acts 23 and verse 11. Uh, Paul before the council We read this, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. It seems like the Son of God appeared to him in that moment, stood by him next to him, and assured him, Paul, you're going to Rome, and as you've borne testimony before the great and the good, as it were, of... Uh, of he the Hebrew nation, you will also do so now, in Rome itself. Isn't this interesting to us, friends? Notwithstanding God's promise Acts twenty three eleven, notwithstanding Paul's preaching already, which had clearly met with some great blessing, perhaps we might even call it incomparable blessing in some ways. What does Paul do here? He asks for prayer. Is that not significant to us? He's been promised he will testify by God himself. He has seen even those of Caesar's household come to him and been converted, and many others, no doubt. What does Paul ask for? Prayer that I might open my mouth boldly in proclaiming the mystery. Of the gospel. I think that's really informative to us. And I think it speaks to each one of us wherever we are. We don't have to be Paul for this dynamic to work for us because it speaks to us of the dynamic of the Christian life, especially with respect to prayer and the role of prayer in our lives. And this is where I'm partly building on what Pastor Ocken taught two weeks ago. For Paul, though he's under house arrest, it's all happening. I mean, this is a ministry par excellence, and yet he still wants and needs prayer, that his preaching might be faithful and bold, that his life, his conduct with all those who are visiting him might produce fruit. And yet he asks for more prayer because he knows his life, his conduct, his preaching will not produce fruit unless the Lord blesses him. And he's asking the saints to pray for that blessing. It's interesting, you meet people in the church at times who ask the question well, if God has ordained all things, why bother pray? That's kind of Christianity 101. We have to say that. If God has ordained things, why should we pray? It's a failure to understand how God works and that God Himself has chosen to work through means. The means, one of them, is prayer. Our Lord says, you have not because you ask not. That is to say, the not having has been ordained through the means of not asking. Does that make sense? The not having has been ordained, yes, but through the means of not asking. Our Lord is saying that very clearly. And this is not name it and claim it or manifesting or any such uh, modern aberration. This is the prayer of faith spoken of in Scripture. Paul is asking for prayer that his ministry will be fruitful. In other words, the spread of the gospel, his preaching during this time and its success, its faithfulness and the results are at least in part an answer to the prayers that had been offered on his behalf. The success and faithfulness of his ministry were at least in part a result of the prayers offered on his behalf now consider what paul is saying take heed keep alert by praying how do we keep spiritually alert by praying we pose this as a question and perhaps even an implicit challenge to all of us what would happen if we as a congregation were to pray steadfastly these words every week? Pray also for me, for your pastors, that words may be given to us in opening our mouths boldly pro- to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. We're not yet an ambassador in chains, so we'll leave verse 20 alone for the moment. But what would happen to this church and to us as individuals, if we prayed this as a church together, week after week after week after week. Think first of all the effects that might have on your pastors, the ones who are called to declare the Word of God, and you're praying this prayer throughout the week. Consider his spiritual alertness in his study in his prayers, in his pastoring, in his personal life, in his preaching. Imagine the effects on us if God answered those prayers in the same way he answered the Ephesians prayers for Paul. Now, we've considered what that will do for the pastors. What would it do for all of us? What would these prayers do for us if we prayed regularly, faithfully, steadfastly, that our pastors may be equipped in such a fashion. Consider the effect upon you of your pastors being so blessed. And and it's all the blessing of God. Pastor Rockin will say the same as this any prosperity or blessing or goodness that comes from our preaching, it's entirely the work of God, nothing to do with us. Consider the effect upon you if God answered this prayer. Praying in the week for yourself, your friends, your family, for your pastor, for his studies, for his preaching, for his personal life. God might even answer that prayer of yours that very day in the life of your pastor as he sat before the word of God and suddenly he realizes he's completely misinterpreted the text before him and he's seen the light through your prayers. Or he's seen something that he hadn't previously seen before, the depths of the goodness of God. And he comes to this pulpit and preaches that blessedness in answer to your prayers. You see, it doesn't just affect the pastor does, it affects on those, everyone who hears the word preached. Just think on that, friends. You win, your pastor wins, the preaching wins. The kingdom is advanced, even in our own hearts. Samuel Rutherford, the old Scottish Puritan, had a word to say on this. He said, I have been benefited by praying for others. For by making an errand to God for them, I have gotten something for myself. It's often the way in prayer. And I would just say this to us, friends. Which one of us does not need prayer on a daily basis? which one of us does not need the prayer of the saint, pastor or not. It's an encouragement to everyone here as you are able to be praying. Be praying privately, be praying as families, come to church prayer meeting. Pray for the church, pray for the kingdom. Pray for your pastors, pray not only for the preaching of the word, pray for the reception of the word. You see, prayer is really communion with God. And as we commune, what happens? Our spiritual senses are sharpened. We are put on high alert through prayer. Spiritual alertness, awareness, perseverance. That's the language of verse 18. And the greater spiritually aware and alert we are, the better for the kingdom and for this church it shall be. Not just spiritual alertness was Paul's concern, but spiritual encouragement also, verse 21 to 22. Paul writes, verse 21, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. What's Paul doing? He's sending them Tychicus. He's sending this this trusted servant, this trusted friend, that he might bear good news about Paul, his labors, how he is, what he's doing, and thus encourage their hearts. We know that Paul... Uh, met Tychicus, uh, we think, in Turkey, and that he accompanied him on the end of his third missionary journey. Clearly, he's with Paul at this point in Rome. And Paul says here he is a beloved brother and faithful minister. That word minister there is the word diakonos, deacon, or more broadly speaking, servant. It's almost certain that Tychicus is not an ordained minister as we think of him. Just a co labourer in the kingdom. I say just. A fellow member in the church. And yet, what does Paul say of him? Beloved brother, faithful. Minister, someone who has ministered to Paul in his time of need. Paul esteems him sufficiently and trusts him sufficiently to send him as his ambassador to the Ephesian church to bring good tidings of Paul. His express purpose that he may encourage your hearts. That he may encourage your hearts. It's a simple teaching, actually, here with a clear application to this congregation. Paul had great affection for the Ephesian church, and clearly they had that same affection for him. And he wants to bring them news of really what's going on in his life. What are we seeing here between the relationship between Paul and the Ephesians, though separated by distance? We're talking about the doctrine of the communion Of the saints the communion of the saints saints one with another encouraging loving building up bearing each other's burdens paul has sent someone to be with them because he cannot go himself the communion of the saints now friends we know church life can be very hard at times we've all been there, we've all seen it. We all know there are times where there are extreme relational difficulties, or there's some sort of trouble in the church, and it happens. We know it happens. But that not, should not be the usual pattern of church life and Christian experience. This is the ordinary dynamic of church life, the ordinary dynamic of church life—mutual support, strength, encouragement, compassion, kindness, and so on—I think we can ask ourselves some some fundamental questions without beating ourselves up over it. Are we contributing to the blessedness of Shiloh, or are we detracting from it? Are we sharing in the labors of this, our church? Are we bearing one another's burdens? Are we willing and desirous to show hospitality and kindness? Are we servants or are we being served? Are we eager as Paul was? And we can think of all the people in this room and all the people who aren't here tonight. We think, are we eager to build them up? Are we eager to strengthen their hand? Are we eager that they are in a better place when they go out those doors tonight than when they came in? Do we want to encourage each other? I think the best way to encourage each other is really turn to Paul's concluding words in verses 23 and 24, because Paul is reminding them of the blessedness of what it is to be a child of God. You see, the order of gospel and action or work is reversed here, because we've got all the gospel in verses 23 and 24 preceded by action. Do this, be spiritually alert, encourage one another, Then here's the foundation of all our labors. Verse 23, spiritual blessings. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Isn't that blessed? Isn't that sweet to your ears? Who is the blessing from in this text? We read there in verse 23 God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why not the Holy Spirit? Why is the Spirit not present in this particular benediction, blessing? Well, it wouldn't be improper to have the Spirit in the benediction. In fact, the benediction of 2 Corinthians 13 is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So it's not improper for Paul to bless the church with a Trinitarian, explicitly Trinitarian blessing. Here we have a Trinitarian implicitly trinitarian blessing why is the spirit missing in fact he's missing from 13 of paul's salutations and benedictions the salutation at the beginning of each epistle to uh, you and peace from whom god our father and the lord jesus christ and then most closing benedictions also do not feature the spirit why is that It's not because the Spirit is somehow lesser God or not God, or just a force, as some people think he is. That's just silliness. Nor is it because the Holy Spirit is not the source of these blessings. Each of these blessings of peace and love and faith and grace come from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Why, then, is the Spirit missing from the vast majority of these blessings? I think Jonathan Edwards helps us, and I think, in fact, our confession from this evening helps us. Jonathan Edwards wrote this, I can think of no other good account that can be given of the apostles wishing grace and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, except that the Holy Ghost is himself the love and grace of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his blessing at the end of his epistles, where all of the, sorry, the second epistle to the Corinthians, where all three persons are mentioned, he wishes grace and love from the Son and the Father in the communion or the partaking of the Holy Spirit. The blessing is from the Father and the Son in the holy ghost but the blessing from the holy ghost is himself the communication of himself did we not confess this night because i belong to him christ by his holy spirit also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live him. Christ by his Spirit, in his Spirit, by his Spirit, through his Spirit, the Spirit is the blessing, the communion that we enjoy. You see, friends, the Spirit is the blessing and thus ministers. The blessing. It is the Spirit that has been given to the Christian and the Church to administer peace and love with faith and grace into all our lives. This is the power of sanctification, the power of perseverance in our lives. Not left up to you, dear friend, though you have a part to play. It's the Almighty Spirit the eternal spirit, the spirit of truth, taking these graces and ministering them in your life. This is real, real power, almighty power. There is, first of all, the blessings of peace, of love with faith and grace. Of those three, grace is clearly foundational in our experience without grace we are nothing we have nothing grace is god's favor we understand from from this morning's sermon uh, what what a what a, a, an incredible uh, unimaginable obstacle there is to us having the favor of god were it not for his grace It's his good and kind and merciful and loving disposition towards us. It's a product of divine and eternal love. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. It's not saying perfect love in this life because none of us have that but it's a love which is incorruptible because it's genuine and real. It's a faith love, love with faith, and it will last to eternity. Think on grace for a moment. Horatio Bonar, the Scotsman, says, Grace does not wait till there is something to attract it, nor till a good reason is found in the sinner for its flowing to him. It was free sovereign grace when it first thought of the sinner it was free grace when it found and laid hold of him and it is free grace when it hands him up into glory from first to last the grace of god is free without constraint not because of who you are or what family you were born into or because of what you've done or any works otherwise it would not be grace grace does not wait till there is something to attract it isn't that blessed it's so completely the opposite of the way we work do we know this grace friends this grace all of god sovereign free unbounding the god who gives this grace is the god who gives himself And this God is inexhaustible in grace, as the old hymn says, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Friends, know this grace of God. Know this God of all grace. Know him by faith. Know him by trust. Know him by love. Know him by acceptance. Know him and study him with diligence. Know him by practice. This grace is known to us more and more as we make use of the means of grace. Secondly, there's peace, first in the text, second in logical priority, peace. Peace be to the brothers. Certainly, that's the peace of God that Paul is bestowing upon them, the peace that comes from God in reconciliation, in justification, in atonement, And yet more so, as many commentators say, this is a horizontal peace. Because that peace has flown from God to us, it must naturally then flow horizontally from us to each other. Peace be to the brothers. Peace be within the brothers, within the church. You see, the vertical peace from God must drive our relationships with each other. So this is the question for us. Does our personal peace with God drive our peace with those about us in the church? If it doesn't, there's a theological and relational disconnect in our minds that we would do really well to put right soon. Peace with God must equal peace with God's people. And third, There is love with faith. We could say the same thing again. Love to God, love to each other. The interesting thing is love to God and love to each other cannot be determined by self-interest. It cannot be determined by self-interest. We do not love God because of what he can do for us. Now, we love God for what he has done for us, but that's not the principal reason for loving God for what he can do for us, as if God is some sort of rabbit's foot, a lucky charm. Neither do we love each other for what we can get out of it. Our Lord says that's how the Gentiles operate. No, we love with what? Love with faith. Love with faith. We love because of Christ and the Holy Spirit Indwelling us. We love because our sins have been covered, righteousness has been imputed to us, we've been brought into the family of God, our perseverance has been guaranteed by Christ, the Great One. We love God simply for who He is, and we love God's people because they're God's people. We've reached the end of Ephesians. I hope we'll always be reminded, as we think through the book, chapter one, of the lavish riches of grace. Go back and look at that language, the lavish riches of grace that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope we'll be reminded of the indwelling of the Spirit in the church and in the individual. I hope we'll take encouragement from the grace of God in salvation. And because of those things, what will we do? We will endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We'll be reminded that we are called to imitate God. To be imitators of God in all that we do. Let the gospel truth of Jesus Christ motivate and drive your lives. And Paul closes with these words, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. We bless you, Almighty God. for the great spiritual encouragement and strengthening that you bestow upon us. Lord, may our salvation, may our Savior, never become common things to us. That each day of our lives, Lord, we might be truly amazed and astonished by your grace equip us then lord god as we leave this place even now as we sing your praises that we might delight in you we might go forth and do every good work work that you have called us to build up this church strengthen us in grace and maturity we ask in jesus name amen